Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 65 of the Unregulated Podcast. Here we are on January 6th, 2022. Episode number 65. Your co-host Tom Pyle here in the AEA studios. I'm Fred Garvin. Fred, how you doing? How was your holiday? How was Christmas? How was New Year's? Christmas was good. Oh, just right. Christmas. We did a Christmas episode. Never mind. We did a Christmas episode, but it's Epiphany, so it makes sense to kind of close it up. Um, yeah. We, you know, the wise men have shown up, and uh, they're not on the hill. They're not in Washington at all. Right? So, Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. All right. Um, we've got a special guest today, but he's uh, going to come a little bit later. So I guess we should start with the obvious, and um, I'm going to turn it over to you because this is kind of your lane. Um, yeah, this insurrection. Insurrection day. Uh, care, care to sh share any thoughts, highlights, feelings? Oh, well, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? Um, everybody says they're for the rule of law until they actually find out that the rule of law doesn't mean their enemies, like, you know, die in a fiery car crash. Um you know, 700 arrests, a little bit more, a little bit north of that now. I think they're about a tenth of the way through. No, that's not right. They're about a seventh of the way through, about 100, uh, mostly plead outs and probations. Um, couple, three, four jail terms. Longest one now is, I think, 41 months. Um, um, still waiting for the first conspiracy um, to commit treason. Still waiting on the first, truthfully, still waiting on the first weapon, right? Um, you know, it, it occurs to me that this is the oddest, this is the oddest insurrection in the history of the world. One side had all the guns and one side had no guns. Um, so it, it, it's kind of odd. The other thing that's odd, um, not odd, it's the second time he said it, right? He said it first time at his confirmation hearing, but he reiterated it yesterday in front of the Congress, right? Merrick Garland said that there is no higher priority, that, that's the way he put it, there is no higher priority for the Department of Justice than um, tracking down the, the people who, who did this protest, riot, insurrection, whatever you want to call it. And I thought to myself, you know, in a world with about a billion and a half people who probably like to kill all of us at any given moment, I'm not exactly sure I'd waste a lot of time tracking down these five, six, seven hundred losers, most of whom you already have identified. I mean, I get it. It's a political thing, but it was a ridiculous thing to say. And he set himself up for failure because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the judges um, who are catching these cases, they're not going to put these guys in jail for a hundred years. They're just not. They, if they were, they would, but they, they're not. They have nothing so, to, to pin them with to do so. Merrick Garland has proven to be a loyal political soldier, huh? they complain about the politicization of the uh, Department of Justice under the previous uh, president. But man, he's turned out to be quite a, you know, partisan hand, that fella. Well, I mean, the thing about it is, you know, Bill Barr looked like Darth Vader, right? And this guy looks like Mr. Rogers. So, <laughs> yeah. well, so he says ridiculous things like, hey, you know, we have no higher priority than, than prosecuting this stuff. And you're like, really seriously i mean don't get me wrong it wasn't great one 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 of the republic's finest moment but we've had lots worse we've had lots worse in the last two years 
Yeah, well, I'm not watching uh, or listening to any of the conversations about this because I don't want to get like really my blood pressure to go up any more than it already is. But make no mistake, this week, Senate Dems will make clear what happened on January 6th is directly linked to the one-sided partisan actions being taken by GOP-led state legislators across the country. We can and must take strong action to stop this anti-democratic march says our fearless Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And uh, we'll take every opportunity to seek uh, a further erosion, and I'm not no longer quoting from him, of the filibuster in order to pass voting rights legislation because one is directly equal to the other, I, I, I guess is what is the, the attempt trying to be made here. Yeah, the, the one thing that surprised me this morning, I don't know why it surprised me. I guess I'm getting, I guess I'm getting soft in my old age. You know, the president talked at nine o'clock this morning, right? And I expected, I mean, the, 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 the speech bled out yesterday, but before I read it, I expected that it was going to be a call to the better angels of our nature, right? That we all needed to you know, reflect upon the fact that we're all children of God and, you know, treat each other accordingly, that kind of thing. He gave, without a doubt, the most political speech I've ever heard a president of the United States give. Uh, it was about <clears throat> it was about how President Trump was responsible, and you know all this other stuff about you know essentially that Trump and the Republicans are bad people. And I thought um, that's an odd approach, right? If you're trying to knit together a country, um, and it's a, you know, and, and Senator Schumer is just a part of that action, right? Using using something like this for your political gain, I mean, that's what the July, January 6th commission, the select committee is all about. But, um, but you know, you hope you always hope senators are going to be better than House members. You're usually disappointed, right? You have to ask yourself a question, and this is not a, like a new thing, right? Um, things that happen in this country that are legitimately like earth shattering uh, of catastrophic catastrophic events bring everybody together right um you know 9-11 obviously is the is the is the most recent example which is 20 years ago now you know my neighbor uh, at the time was donna brazil and we certainly don't have a lot in common but we sat around and like spent quality time together talking like to each other and sharing you know uh some Jack Daniels, but like, my point is, is that this, you know, this is not one of those things. It, it is clear to me from the very, from the get go that while ridiculous and stupid and, you know, I can, I can, it's not a good thing. Let's not, let's not, you know, sugarcoat that part, but the, the exploitation of it for raw political gain is is a clear indicator to me of of just how much of an overreach the 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 democrats are are do are are engaging in in order to achieve you know uh their political objectives so that that is you know you can say oh well it's because you know the trump folks are in denial or they don't you know er, you know everything he does they're they're just blind followers and whatnot but i just i don't see it quite that way um, like I said, like you said, a bunch of idiots 
dumb, dumb deal. But there's a lot there's a lot of other stuff going on uh, around this. It's not one of those moments in our history, Pearl Harbor, et cetera, right? I mean, what, what strikes me, and you probably guess because I keep coming back to it, what strikes me about it the most is, is the great big giant difference between what's playing out in the courtrooms in, in D.C. and what that January 6th committee and what, you know, guys like Schumer and guys like the president are talking about. You know, justice, the judicial system is grinding its way through um, what this thing was in their eyes, right? It was a it was a protest that got, got out of hand and turned into a riot, right? And got got a little um, got a little damaging, right? And one person wound up dead, shot to death by the Capitol Police. No idea whether that was warranted or not, right? We've never had any hearings on that, but you know, it 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 is a fairly discreet, understandable thing, and the justice system is treating it like that. Political system is treating it. Um, like it's legitimately an insurrection. And, you know, there's some danger in that because, you know, one day you might have an actual insurrection. And I'll tell you what, it's not going to look like 700 people dressed up, you know, wandering around through the, through the Capitol. It's going to be a little bit uglier than that if it comes. And I worry about crying wolf, right? I really do. Yeah. Well, um, it seems to me that the, 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 the closest, thing to an insurrection that i have seen over the last several years um has taken place in streets where people are protesting the cost of electricity and energy <laughs> uh you know if you want to talk about in the manner of insurrections look look what has gone on um around the world remember the the yellow vests in 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 france right uh, yep. and how disruptive they were for how long. Well, now uh, we're seeing something similar playing out in Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan right? Yeah. So they've had a couple dozen deaths already, which I'm just like, it. that blows my mind. Uh, like, you, you see some of the images, you know, the Twitters, you know, raw footage stuff. Um, you know, once again, Javier Blas, this guy's good, by the way. He's, he's, a, he's pretty good. Um, I will throw this in the show notes. There is literally thousands of people like like on the streets causing a lot of uh, uh, of disruption. Right. And it's over high energy prices from a country that is a, a top oil producer and a member of OPEC plus, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Where they reimposed price controls uh, for gas, diesel and LPGs. The, this is affordable energy is important to people and and all these politicians who are running around trying to you know cr create a force a transition are going to pay the piper for this well, i like to think of it this way right you see something like that and it emphasizes just how um stupid rich the united states is and the west is right um you know you, you got you got states that are voluntarily paying more for electricity than they should and nobody cares, right? Um, you know, the, the, the theory, there's an economic theory floating around that I tend to subscribe to, and that is um, that well-off people um, view policy as a luxury good, right? You know, view, view, a, view what they consider to be moral policies to be luxury goods. So it doesn't really matter if energy is more expensive for the rich folks, right? It's a luxury good for them. It gives them bragging rights at the, at the party, right? It makes them feel better about themselves. You have 
Kazakhstan, on the other hand, um, where you know expensive energy is the difference in some people's lives between living and dying. And yeah. So, so you have two dozen dead on the streets. Of I'm going to guess the I'm going to guess the the capital is Amaata, but I'm not sure of that. Anyway, the 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 larger point is is what you just yeah you nailed it like. We have friends who've been stuck uh, out in, you know, rural Virginia with no power for two, three, four days, right? All the hotels are pretty much booked. Uh, rich guys can just, you know, get out of town, right? Fly sure. to their other house, whatever, wherever. Go down to Florida, like AOC and uh, and Swalwell, um, and yeah. hang out at the bars in Miami. We well, there's lots regular of, there's folks lots of, can't do that. There's lots of there's lots of Chinese um, spies in Florida too, so. Congressman, <laughs> yeah, right yeah, he'll feel right at home there. So, am I, am I not allowed to say that? Is that too soon? No, no, it's good. I like it. Uh, these guys deserve all, all of the grief that they that they dish out. So, uh, so speaking of snow and bad weather, uh, quite a pile <clears throat> up on the Interstate ninety five recently. Forty eight wow. miles. Yeah. It, well, so. I run that, I, I drive that that particular stretch of road quite a bit, right? And as soon as I had heard that the tractor trailer jackknife and four or five others of them had run into the guy, I knew exactly where it was, right? I knew exactly where it was. I'm like, that's gonna be a disaster. Um, it, it, Virginians don't do well in the snow. We just don't, there's not, doesn't make you a bad person, right? It just is. There are pileups in the New York State Thruway when it snows too, um, but, um, but this was particularly bad, right? And this is the, you know, Virginia uh, inaugurates its new governor on January 15th of the year, right? I've kind of wondered if maybe it wouldn't be better to do it just almost as soon as the election is certified, just put the new guy in because yeah. you wind up with this kind of thing where the old guy clearly didn't care enough, right? I mean, nobody called the National Guard. And you know, the best thing was when they asked the National Guard about it the next day, National Guard said, yeah, none of the localities called us. I'm just like, yeah, he's checked out for sure. He's, right, he's exactly. He's trying on his robe. The only, the only good, uh, the <laughs> only, sheet, sheet, Tom. The only good thing is that, of course, that um, Senator Kane got stuck in the jam. Oh my gosh! I, I mean, thankfully, you know, everyone made it through. But uh, this, this was great because there was a journalist who was caught in this too, yeah. right? So he did the whole play-by-play play and whatnot right you know but uh the the coolest thing was there the wash the bezos post actually put an opinion piece in their newspaper yeah, charlie lane democracy dies in darkness asking how much worse this would be if we were all we were all cozied up in our electric vehicles yeah um any answer is bad right um because what would have happened is they would have had a tall monk and charge him somewhere else. It would have been pretty messy. Um, and, and I'm. Well, you know how quickly these batteries lose their capacity, the colder it gets, right? That's, that's right. It would be, it would be, you know, we, we'd have some serious, pretty serious situations. I'm pretty sure we had some pretty serious situations. Um, internal combustion engines, um, you know, bottom line is if the national guard showed up, guess what they'd be driving. Yeah. Be driving big old diesel fired MRAPs. Yeah, and, they wouldn't uh, be driving those those fancy new Chevy E Silverados. Any no. any of them? 
No, they so. would they would they would be showing up in in um, heavy and mid-sized trucks, um, burning just a hell of a lot of diesel, and everybody would be very grateful to see them. Yeah, damn straight, and and, and, and Nora's just the, Nora's just the, a couple of examples of the sticky, ugly mess uh, in the real world when you try to sort of rearrange uh, the ions right when you're so damn smart that you know all you have all the answers and you know exactly what we need to save our planet um you know the electrification of everything getting rid of natural gas hookups in municipalities you know people use the gas on their stove when the power's out right so they can boil water and make some mac and cheese and whatnot you know what i'm saying like these are just the the sticky realities of of this garbage that the the this particular administration uh and and predecessor uh, democrat administrations and you know some bad decisions by republican administrations too get out of the business of get out of the energy business because every time that you get involved you you mess something up and then you try to band-aid it with some other mess up um we were just talking about the um, uh, trans, uh, the infrastructure, quote unquote, bill, with the staff. Well, before you get that, let me let me let me cut in here for a second. You bet, you bet. On point, right? Um, last week, the International Energy Agency put out a report on coal use, right? And it 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 showed that coal use is um, probably going to be the highest level ever in 2021, right? And it's it's um, mostly because of plants in China and India, but also because of increased use in Europe and the United States. And that, um, and then it's gonna be about 35% of primary energy use, right? About uh, number two, just to oil, which I think is a 37% of primary energy use. Um, the, whole tone of the, the whole tone of the report was depression. They were clearly depressed, right? They started yeah. off by saying, you know, hopes to get rid of coal have been dashed. Dashed was the word they used. <laughs> I'm just like, was the last time you saw a bureaucratic report use the word dashed but yeah. anyway it was instructive and i still am looking forward to um germany's emissions in 2020 2021 and 2022 i'm betting yeah. they're higher in 2019. you know this 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 um this whole thing started to bump up against reality the last point before i let you get on to your thing the eu week after the iea did their thing EU just a couple of days ago um, redefined green to include natural gas and nuclear power. Yeah, yeah, uh, you knew that so, was coming, right? Like that. Was well, I, you knew you know it's coming, but still, it's fun when you watch it, right? Because you're just like, all righty. So basically, what you mean is coal and oil are out; everything else is in. Um, it's a nod to reality. I'm looking forward to um, when the IEA has to do the same report for oil that they just did for coal, right? Yeah. You know, oil use in 2022 is gonna be, you know, historic high, whole bit, right? This, this, um, I read this in a tweet, and I wish I could remember who wrote it, cause I like it. Hey man, it said, in contests between physics and platitudes, physics is undefeated. Yeah, physics is undefeated. Attention Silicon Valley, you can't change the laws of physics. You can't. Um, since you brought up coal, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Uh, we just did a, a nice point counterpoint in power mag, um, talking about this very issue of coal, 
still being the king, uh, generating 35% of the world's electricity in 2020, more than any other fuel. And I suspect the numbers in 2021 um, are going to way, way, you know, have a pretty sharp uptick as well. Even in this country, our our generation upticked um, in 2021, 23% from 19. So, um, it's still king, baby. Uh, for for good, bad, or otherwise, it's still king, and it's still necessary. Is twenty three percent along? In you, well, we've had. I mean, it's been higher, obviously. Uh, it's been higher. I think oh eight oh nine. I think it was. It peaked around fifty two percent or something like that. Higher than that. But the point I was making is, is I, I believe wind is now at like eight percent or nine percent or ten percent. So, but it's it's the future. I'm I'm I have no idea, and I'm not going to live to see the future, so I don't really care. Well, a couple of data points. Um, Europe is likely the the European electricity natural gas bills are increasing fifty percent plus as a result of all of the stuff that we're talking about, right? So I challenge our listeners. Anyone who listens to us, I challenge pro wind solar people, show me anywhere, anywhere where higher penetrations of quote unquote cheap wind and solar has led to a lower electricity price rates for ratepayers. Send me the information. I, I put it out there. Lou, if you're listening, find me the data where, where cheaper wind and solar has led to lower electricity prices. I'd love to see it. By the way, speaking of Lou, there's a, a guy at the Manhattan Institute whose name I cannot remember. This is embarrassing. He put out a great report on EVs that basically concluded the subsidies weren't worth it. Um, and I'm going to get that and put it in the show notes. We're going to talk about it next time. The reason why I bring it up is because one of his charts is less comprehensible than one of Lou's charts. I, I, <laughs> I looked at it for like I looked at it for a good 30 minutes. I'm like, I can't make heads or tails of this damn thing. So yeah, that's great. I'm going to ask for some translation, but I'm also going to put this in the show notes. We'll talk about it next week too. Now, the only other thing I was going to say is we, we did a little, another a piece on the, on the quote unquote infrastructure bill. And one of my staff caught a provision that I didn't know was in there. Um, there's a $5 billion subsidy for existing nuclear plants to protect them from becoming uneconomical as the result of previous subsidies handed out to wind and solar. Yeah. So, so let's, let's put it, you know, let's game this up. The government has helped make nuclear uneconomical by lavishing wind and solar with subsidies. So now they need to lavish nuclear with subsidies in order to help them compete with wind and solar. Well, it has a, um, two things, right? It has a precise analogy to what's about to happen in the automobile industry, right? where they're going to make everybody um, have a de facto switch over to some portion of their sales are going to be EVs and that cost is going to get subsidized, socialized across the tax base, right? Um, You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. And the guys, the executives at Ford and GM, the guys who play golf on Saturdays and Sundays are going to make money off it. Um, So it has a precise analogy there. The other thing is it reminds me of Ronald Reagan, right? Who said, um, you know, general rule of government is, if it's moving, tax it. If it stops moving, subsidize it. Right? Um, yeah. It's it's. I'm the only win, the only winners here are those 
the special interests, the lobbyists, and the corporate guys. I mean, nobody is benefiting from this. Folks are not benefiting from their government. Their government is not serving their best interests. Well, I'm a huge fan of nuclear, but the problem is, is that, you know, when the utilities decided they wanted to play along with this 15, 10, 15 years ago, you knew the nuclear plants were going to be on a clock. And they are, right? Because the marginal cost of wind and solar is zero. It just is, right? Doesn't cost anything for you. They have no fuel costs. It costs <laughs> a lot. It's just not embedded in the, in well, the right. number that we're, we're counting. I mean, that's right, uh, because you, you pay for the backup, right? You pay for the backup, you pay for the extra transmission, you pay yeah. for the, uh, the loss on the lines sure, of but the as, electricity, you but pay for the subsidies. You pay for the, you know, for the whole kit and caboodle. But all of those get all those get shipped off to different pockets, right? You know, if you're running an RTO, the marginal cost is zero, which means you dispatch it out. It's when the utilities decided to play along with this, like I said, 10, 12 years ago, just a matter of time. Just yeah. a matter of time. It's like it's like when the car guys decided they're gonna play with the EV things a couple of years back. Just a matter of time, do we see widespread subsidies? You know, the only question is, is see if you've heard me ask this question before you know which party is going to stand up for the working people yeah yeah well the the thing about the evs is too though is these car companies i've heard this from you know folks who wouldn't uh won't won't say it publicly they're just chasing the valuation the the inflated valuation valuations of these ev companies sure well you can't they're not making their decisions based on what consumers want I mean, Tesla, Tesla, why would they? Tesla had, um, you know, they have, they have a, a, an oligopoly. Why would they? Tesla had a recall of a half a million units last week, which is a, the equivalent of about a year and a half's worth of sales. Yeah. Combine yeah. that with the Volt or Volt or whatever it was for GM. I mean, it, it, that's the, the mother load of the cars in production. Yeah, but it didn't change the stock price at all. Nobody cares. The, yeah. the market is completely... Is completely disconnected from reality on this, and you know, eventually it's going to come back. But yeah, speak, speaking of Elon, you know, he just set up shop in Jingjiang, right? I saw that. You know, I'm I'm real glad he's got a nice <laughs> tiny showroom. He's like, hey man, yeah. He's- if you think about where you want to have your, your you know your your next global showroom, you want it to be in a place that says, I don't care about genocide. <laughs> Unlimited zero cost labor. I, I warned. I warned some of our friends not to get too close to Elon simply because he's been saying, you know, things that we tend to agree with uh, recently, because this just, just shows you what, you know, what a socio sociopath the guy is. Uh, you heard the, uh, the third person there chiming in on, on Elon Musk. We wanted to bring, because so much is swirling right now on this, on this, on this uh, Omicron, Omicron, the Cron. Uh, and so much activity at the CDC and all these, you know, teachers using, you know, trying to, you know, stay home Tom, and Tom, I'm everything else. I, I wanted to bring back the, 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 our expert, the world's expert, the data cruncher on all things coronavirus, all things COVID, Phil Kirpin, follow him on Twitter at Kirpin, yeah. K-E-R-P-E-N, yes. all of all of his tweets are data driven. They just, he's just translating the numbers, ladies and gentlemen. Phil Kirpin, welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. 
Yeah, my, my, my pleasure, guys. And uh, congratulations to you on pronouncing Omicron correctly, because 90% of people add an extra N and say Omnicron, which uh, is not in fact correct. I was corrected on that once already. So. It's, it's very hard not to, because they're like all these words that start with Omni. I think that's the only word in the English language that starts Omni. So it's a... All the companies that like create, spend millions of dollars to create names that don't exist is, I'm the victim of that. So, all right, Phil. Give us your 180 foot, you know, de- deconstruct some of this stuff for us. Let us know what, some of the silliness that's going on out there. And, and, and more importantly, tell us where we're headed. Well, I think the, the Omicron story is a fundamentally a very good news story. Uh, if you look in South Africa, which is the first country that it hit in, uh, they, it was kind of the driver of their fourth wave. And their fourth wave was a tiny fraction of their first three. And I think it's pretty clear that the inherent severity of this virus is much lower than the earlier variants, probably something like one sixth or even lower than that. And then, of course, you had that a lot of people have prior infection immunity, a lot of people have vaccine immunity. And it looks like the death total in Gauteng province, South Africa, which is where Johannesburg is, population 18 million, uh, it looks like they're going to have less than 1,000 total deaths in this wave, which is something like 20 times less than they had in their Delta wave. Uh, The US situation is a little bit trickier to look at because we weren't done with Delta when this hit. So we kind of have both in a lot of places. And uh, a lot of the hospitalization death numbers in the Northern states are gonna be pretty high, but mostly driven by Delta. Uh, And so I think where you're gonna get the cleanest look at the severity of Omicron is places like Florida that already had their Delta wave completely done. And now they're getting hit by this. And that it looks very similar to what we saw in South Africa there. So you do have some disease, but it's pretty mild. And, you know, my view is that, you know, if the Omicron virus had come along by itself, if we hadn't had any of the previous experience of the last two years, it would basically be a non-event. It would just be, you know, there's something going around people are a little sick this winter, but it, it, it's because we've been traumatized by the earlier versions of COVID that we're freaking out about this one as well. And, and it's spreading so rapidly that like everyone's getting it. So, I mean, for instance, in Maryland right now, you know, over 30% of the tests are coming back positive and everyone knows two dozen people who, who have it. And, you know, one model, the, the Harvard Yale model is at covidestim.org. And the model might be whacked out now because they haven't updated the parameters or whatever. So I don't know how accurate this is, but their model has 35% of the population of the entire state having had it within the last month. One of the most vaccinated counties in, in the country, yeah. Mont- Montgomery County. They're number three right now, right. by the way. The, the, they're only the only counties ahead, and they were number one for a while. So I don't know if they're ashamed of dropping to number three. The only counties ahead are Marin County, the wealthy suburb of San Francisco, and Cumberland County, Maine, which is Portland, Maine. But then Montgomery County is right there, number three in the country uh, behind those two. But f- put a finer point on that, because if this wasn't actually a SARS strain virus, like if this was something else, like a, a different strain of a flu or something like that, this would be a non-event, right? And I think you, you, you pointed that out on a, on a tweet. Yeah, I think that I think that's true. Uh, you know, it, it's we're going through a really weird thing right now because we're so we test so obsessively. Uh, and case counting has sort of become this sport for like people who don't follow real sports. <laughs> it's kind of how I think about it. Uh, that, you know, we're obsessing about something that's not actually a complete picture. And so, you know, we, we've got these people going crazy about, oh my God, the number of COVID patients in the hospitals has gone from 200 to 1200 or whatever it is in any given area. And they, they go wild. And you say, okay, what's happened to the 
total number of people in the hospital, COVID plus non-COVID, and that hasn't gone up anyway. And I look, I pull up state after state after state, and that top line number, how many people are in the hospital, has been like totally flat everywhere. And so you've got this phenomenon where you know, the COVID numbers are rising dramatically, the non-COVID numbers are falling dramatically, and it's kind of like, why, is, why are we scaring people with these screaming headlines? I mean, isn't this kind of like what happens in the winter is something moves through and you get more of this, you get less of other things. Uh, so I, I actually think that the half of the country that's not panicking, that's been sort of to normal life is um, pretty clearly right. And I'm just hoping that the liberal areas can sort of sort of get over the psychological trauma they've inflicted on themselves and realize that you, know, you can't reorganize the entire world around avoiding an unavoidable respiratory virus. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if we have a little bit of a winter freak out every year for the next several years in liberal areas, because people have sort of conditioned themselves to that. And you, you sort of start to wonder, you know, kind of like, how, how do they extricate themselves, especially, I mean, the Biden administration wants this to end. They tried. They tried to change their guidelines on the quarantine thing. And then, you know, the liberal Twitter mob went nuts on them and they sort of backed off it. And they, they said all the schools should be open, but we got strikes in Chicago and in New Jersey and in San Francisco, I think. And so it's, um, you know, they, they've created this monster of sort of obsessive left-wing sort of hyper coronaphobes and they they want to escape it ahead of the election they they know the country needs normalcy but um it's their people in their areas that are refusing to cooperate they basically are, are a victim of their own you know uh, creation so um the one thing that is purely consistent though is the complete disaster that is the CDC and Prince Fauci. Can you kind of unwind some of the stuff that, that, that they've been doing and talking about over the, over the holidays? Well, you know, we've had the same problem from the very beginning with, you know, Fauci's NIH and CDC, and it's all sort of run out of the White House now anyway. So, I mean, Fauci's the king of this, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a clip where Biden came out and he said, the president, uh, Anthony Fauci. And it's like, well, it's not funny because it's like basically true. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, you know, the, the problem from the very beginning is they don't tell people the truth. They think their job is not to tell the truth. They think their job is to tell people what people need to be told to behave the way they want them to behave. And so it's all noble lies all the way down. And when they get caught, they tell a new noble lie because somehow they've convinced themselves that people won't make good decisions if they just have accurate facts and therefore they need to be scared into whatever action they think is appropriate and um they've just completely destroyed their credibility by behaving this way uh, and and they've done it throughout and when they finally admit they're wrong about something they just use it as an excuse to push further on i mean one of the most amazing things over the last week or two is a huge number of people who were like the most avid maskers who wanted mask mandates everywhere have said oh yeah by the way those masks we had you wearing for two years do nothing and they, they never did anything. And, and instead of saying, and this is the reason we should stop doing the math, they say, so we're going to put thicker ones on instead. And then we're really going to, and it's like, God, well, and, and then you're like, so then a year later, you're going to tell us those don't do anything. Like, it's just, they, I, I just, they've, they've destroyed their credibility. And frankly, you know, a lot of people say that's this horrible thing and public health's not going to be credible if we need them in the future, whatever, you know, I try to look at glass half full, which is they showed us who they are. 
And now we know we can ignore them. And that's probably a good thing because how many of their other recommendations over the years have probably been the same kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think we, we should, we could, we could, we could almost just eliminate them or completely replace them with something, just a very, very different structure. Uh, but this is something Republicans need to take on when they're back in power, because you had a situation under Trump where Redfield basically never got a hold of the bureaucracy, never got control of it, never got his arms around it. And they were running him. He wasn't running them. And that was really bad. And then, you know, the Democrats come in and they don't really have any more control over it than the Trump administration did. It's this sort of, you know, autonomous thing. And that's fine when they're issuing recommendations everyone ignores. And they've got tons of those, you know, like they say, never eat sushi and, you know, always cook the yolk hard when you eat eggs. And I mean, yeah, I actually did a Twitter thread on this, like in the summer, I just went through like the dumbest things I could find on the CDC website that everyone ignores, you know, like don't, uh, don't eat hamburgers less than well done, I think, or steaks less than medium or something. I mean, they've just got like, you know, and it's fine. You want to put these things out and everyone ignores them. Okay. But when people start obsessing about everything the CDC says and turning their guidelines into mandates and turning your kid's life upside down. And like, basically, you know, kids have been disrupted for three years of their child. Childhood's not that long. Child, it's like a material that. portion of their entire childhood has been lost to this already. We can't keep doing this stuff. Yeah. And that's the, that, that A is the tragic part. And B, I think I was strict struck by the, the sudden turn in the CDC on the five day deal, because it, it was clear to me that with everyone you know, this 35% number in Maryland is case in point with everyone getting it, having to quarantine right. for 10 days plus, you're going to just like the economy is going to come crap. It's not going to be a lock lockdown. It's going to be a, a quarantine down, but right? Think, well, think, think about and then they call it science. Well, you know, and then all the people who embrace this stuff go, wow, they have new information, right? They, they don't have new information. They're freaking out because everyone's going to stay home and they know what it's going to do to the economy. Think about this. If one, out of every, if one out of every three people in a state has something, the other two are definitely going to be exposed to it. Like, it's not like you can prevent 100% of people from being exposed when something's that widespread. So what are you doing it for? I mean, you know, I, I think that, I think we were there a long time ago, but we're definitely there now where the correct guidance ought to be stay home until you feel better and you haven't had a fever for 24 hours. I mean, there's a logic behind the tried and true way we've done it forever. Always done. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. First time in history that we have locked down the healthy, that we quarantine the healthy. It's a, it's a, it's absolutely, it's absolutely, it's absolutely crazy. And, um, and the school thing in Maryland is crazy too. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, Prince George is closed, I think for two weeks, which is pathetic. Um, You know, we don't have the, the, we don't have the strike issue like Chicago or some other places, but in, in Montgomery County, but they've got this standard where they're saying, well, we're going to close if 5%, if it's 5% positive in the school is the standard set. Well, the state overall is like 30% positive right now. So they, the, it, unless the school is one sixth or less of what the overall community is, we think kids should spend their day in the community rather than in the school. And this is basically what they're saying. I mean, it's just, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I try to understand the other side of these issues, but I, I have I just have trouble understanding what they think this accomplishes, what they think the point is. It's far too logical. OK, so we have an unconventional ally in the in the fight to keep our children in school. I don't know if you saw this. I'm going to play the clip. Enough is enough. We are standing firm and we are going to fight to get our kids back in in-person learning. Period. Full stop. 
Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, uh, Beetlejuice, the mayor of Chicago, <laughs> who <laughs> kept schools closed for something like a year and a half and uh, fed into every crazy thing and like went to playgrounds and yelled at the kids to go home or they were going to die. And then, now she's on our side, which I mean, I guess we welcome converts, but I certainly don't think we should forget you know, the role that she played in creating this monster and everything that she's done. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Chicago is um, they actually had a failed vote. The standard for striking under Illinois law is 75%. They only got 73%, but they just said, you know, good enough, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they're not, they're not going to work. It's uh, there are a lot of other illegalities around this strike, but I think the fact that the vote failed and they like panicked for a few hours before they announced that like, then they said they were, they were leaving anyway, even though the vote didn't get the, the number that's required under the law. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the real test is Will they fire the teachers who don't show up to work or will they essentially negotiate with them and give them what they want, some sort of remote schooling or whatever it is? You know, uh, when healthcare staff are in short supply, these states call in the National Guard, they do whatever, they replace them. If teachers refuse to go to work, they ought to find emergency replacements. They ought to call in the National Guard. They ought to ask for volunteers from the universities, from the community, ask parents if they can cover class. And maybe you can't get 100% that way, but you could get a lot. You get a lot more than zero. And I think the teachers, if they realize they're not going to get paid or they're going to lose their jobs, they'll start to come back. And so, you know, the, it's great to have a soundbite like that. But the kids are not in school today in Chicago. So what is she actually doing? Yeah, she needs to pull a Ronald Reagan. So, okay, who's the hypocrite of the week, the COVID hypocrite of the week, Swalwell or AOC? I, I give it to uh, Swalwell. I mean, the guy, it's incredible. You know, he, he was at the end of the year, uh, he was had all these tweets about, you know, we're only selling COVID because of the horrible, selfish Republicans. And if they had masked and blah, blah, whatever. Then, of course, like every other liberal Democrat who bashes Florida all day long, he jets down to Miami to have a little taste of normal life. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's, you know, if you judge the Democrats by their own personal behavior, they don't believe any of their own COVID nonsense. Yeah, hopefully most Americans can see through that. Okay, last thing, prediction. Um, will we have the, um, will, will we overturn this thing either in the courts or on Capitol Hill, the vax mandate? Well, uh, Capitol Hill is going to be hard. Obviously, we got 52 votes in the Senate. And so the Senate has voted and it's passed the Senate to overturn the mandate, the OSHA one. Uh, they're probably going to vote on the CMS one next week. Um, but every single House Republican is signed on. We're at zero House Democrats, zero. We had two in the Senate. We have zero in the House. There's not one House Democrat that wants to overturn the mandate. And unless you can get five to sign a discharge petition, you're never going to get it to the House floor. And if you did somehow get the five, Biden would veto it. So, I mean, we're definitely pushing hard on the legislative side because I think it's useful and clarifying to push these votes. But uh, the only policy change, if we have one, is going to be from the courts. Uh, let's be realistic about that. Um, but I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, the vast majority of courts in all of these cases, and they're like, I think there's six different mandates now. Um, the vast majority of the court decisions have gone against the Biden administration. And uh, I would be surprised if the Supreme Court gets this one wrong. Of course, they've let us down many times before. So, I mean, who knows? Um, but I'm pretty optimistic on this. And in fact, we're, we're, we're filing an amicus, um, taking a little bit different tack than all the ones that have already been filed because no one else had done this. And I, I just partnered with, with some really high quality scientists basically to inform the court about 
the evolving science of Omicron because none of the factual record in any of the vaccine mandates takes into account that we have a completely different version of the virus now that number one is vastly less dangerous, but number two, the vaccines don't really work very well for. So they're mandating a vaccine from a two-year-old virus for a new virus that's not very dangerous and the vaccines don't even really work very well for. So I'm hoping that making the court aware of that science may be helpful um, if you know, Roberts or someone else wants to dodge the hard constitutional questions. We'll give them an easy factual way out. In the immortal words of Ron Burgundy, it's science. All right. Hey, Phil, you've been really great. I appreciate you coming back on and getting us up to speed. Everyone follow Phil's uh, Twitter feed at Kirpin. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes again. Thanks again, Phil. Take care, buddy. All right. Well, there's your COVID update. Couldn't have said it less succinctly. <laughs> I love Phil, but Chicago's not firing teachers. That's not happening. <laughs> okay, I got another one. Um, uh, this is from the, this one is from the Wall Street Journal. Elizabeth Holmes. A federal jury convicted Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes on four of 11 criminal fraud charges. Each count carries a maximum prison sentence of 20 years. Um, the jury... She was acquitted on four counts tied to patients. The jury was unable to reach a unanimous verdict on the remaining three counts tied to investors. She will likely be allowed to stay free on bail until her sentencing, which could take place six months or now from more. She certainly will appeal, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the queen of revolutionizing um, our, our medical system has been once again the jury, the, the judicial system at work. Um, but I want to play this clip because it, it just tells you a lot um, of what you need to to know about the uh, the pundits in, in the investor uh, in the investor world. Hold on. Compare you. I usually don't do this to Steve Jobs and what he did for computing. Uh, I regard you as a visionary next generation person. Is, is this the kind of ridiculous pressure that nobody needs? You know, Steve Jobs was, I don't think there is another Steve Jobs. He was a phenomenal entrepreneur. We've got an incredible opportunity to try to uphold a legacy in Silicon Valley of changing the world. And Disrupting the world. We're working 24-7 to do it. Well, I understand that's exactly how you work. That's Elizabeth Holmes. She's the Theranos founder and CEO. Congratulations on all the success you've had, and I sure hope you win. Well, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you. Booyah! Yeah, booyah, Jim Cramer. <laughs> the visionary. You know, it, it Jim, Jim, Jim gets paid to Jim gets paid to pimp everybody's stock price, as best I can tell. Yeah, uh, best I can tell too. And it, it reminds me of the fawning uh over uh Elon Musk that's been that's been going on uh in on in the same circles. So the this was a uh this was a world-class fleecing uh, of everybody uh, across the board, including the pharmaceutical companies that signed deals with them, um, all the investors, uh, qu quite, a, quite a dog and pony show from this lady. I, you know, it, it, it turned out like it should have, right? She's gonna spend a couple of days in jail and that'll be that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. All right, here's some, here's some an update on, on the greedy meat conglomerates. This is from the Sac Sacramento Bee. Um, Joe Biden has a plan to stop meat prices from soaring. 
Joe Biden vowed this week to try to halt the spiraling prices with a $1 billion plan to promote more competition in the meat industry. But experts say it's going to take a lot more than some Washington-driven incentives to keep meat inflation in check. So Biden is blaming the industry that has operated without enough competitive pressure. Biden this described the situation this way. While their profits go up, the prices you see at the grocery stores go up commensurate and the prices farmers receive for the products they are bringing to market go down. This reflects the market being distorted by a lack of competition. We also said something very insightful about, uh, about this issue as well. When I was sitting in my kitchen yesterday, and there's a sunroom off the kitchen, and my wife was there with her sister and a good friend named Marianne, and she was saying, do you realize it's over $5 for a pound of hamburger meat? $5? Well, this is partly, you know, the pound of beef today costs five bucks compared to less than four bucks before the pandemic. <laughs> so which, which quote do you think was written by his staff? <laughs> the hamburger doesn't cost five bucks. Well, this is partly, you know, the pound of beef today costs five bucks compared to the less than four bucks before the pandemic. I'd like, a, I'd like a reporter to say, when was the last time you shopped for anything, buddy? Seriously, you personally. When was the last time you actually went to a store, <laughs> put stuff in a bin, took it out, did self-checkout, did whatever? Come on. Actually, I'd come love on. to see him try come to on, man. I'd love it's to see the joke. president try to self-checkout. It's, it's not a joke. These, the pound of beef today costs five bucks. You know, the funny thing is, this is where having, this is where having a... a a White House staff that doesn't actually know anything hurts. Ranchers, right, and pork producers are partners for the most part with um, with the um, the slaughterhouses, right? You know, Cargill, um, those guys. You know, they they in a lot of cases, the um, you know the, the Cargills of the world give them give them the animals, let them raise them, and then you know they have a contractual agreement like, hey, we're you know this thing's going to get to a certain size, we're going to take them off your hand, kind of thing. So, you know, ranchers have mixed feelings about that. Some, you know, some of them don't like it. Some of them do like it, but it's an option, right? And you'd think that if you're going to get into the question of greedy meat conglomerates, you'd think somebody would at least take 10 seconds to understand the business, right? Um, you know, the, the, the ranchers are not getting exploited. The ranchers are part of the, the value chain, right? So and on top of that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for my first farmer who doesn't understand how to work the federal government. Right. Yeah. No, no <laughs> kidding. Right. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, but it is like this, this is the revolutionary transformational government that we've, we've been yeah, waiting yeah, for talking about me conglomerates, yeah. throwing money at a problem and, uh, and, and trying to see what sticks. Right. Yeah. This is the, the infrastructure bill. This is this, this garbage. I mean, there's so much money floating around. The federal government is just like, oh, you know what? I got an idea. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm going to invest a, I'm going to throw a billion dollars at the meat, at the meat problem. So. All right. What do you got left? Um, I've got one. I've got one that um, I was debating whether to bring it up or not, but it's what it is. I'm going to make a snap decision. 
you go and I'll um, you go and I'll decide yeah. if it's worth it. The only thing I want to say is right. What what uh, the, the, a story that nobody's thinking about, but they will shortly. This is probably going to be the most consequential term of the Supreme Court um, in our lives. I say that advisedly, right? In February alone, we're going to argue Dobbs, right, which is the right to life case out of Mississippi. We're going to argue the Texas right to life case. We'll probably have this vax mandate, right? We're definitely going to have that. We're going to have a couple Some of something on um chevron right i was going to say we're going to have at least two cases that are going to going to give the court an opportunity to um sculpt the chevron doctrine a little bit better we got the clean power plan that's going to get argued at the fe at the end of february right february 28th regular tempo of the court holds um june is going to be a very 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 interesting month because all these things are going to come down in june and we are going to know by june whether we have ourselves a legitimate um a legitimately conservative court a legitimate you know um originalist court or whether we've been bamboozled and brett kavanaugh is um is what we fear he is right? is suitor in disguise suitor with a with a party boy um <laughs> over right? i like beer yeah it, it, it a, a legal and intellectual titan I think it's got. more, uh, I think it's more um, how to force Roberts into the right place is, is really, uh, you know. Well, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm the first to admit, I don't know anything at all about the Supreme Court. And I'm, I'm always profoundly skeptical of Supreme Court. Um, uh, they don't call themselves interns when you do a year at the Supreme Court. Um, I'm always profoundly skeptical when they come out and they clear their throats a lot like they know everything. <laughs> Well, you know, when I was there as, as, you know, shining justice, whatever shoes, you know, we learned this, that, and the other thing. I mean, I get it. They got to make a living too, but um, it's an opaque operation. And it probably is better that way. Yeah. Um, impossible to lose all this stuff. We're going to, we're going to have some wins. We're going to have some disappointments. Um, let's just hope it all turns in the right place. But it, it and, and that might be the the Democrats' fuel for for the midterms. They'll try to you know yeah, turn some of these things. Is, yeah, just one real. I'll let you get to your thing. Just one funny thing about that, right? You, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of attitude on the on the left about Dobbs. Like, hey, when the you know when the when Supreme Court uh, bounces row and sends it back to the states, you know that's going to be a moment. But there was an interesting couple of articles about a month ago about this where there were Democrats, not on record, House members, were like, look, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to my constituents and trying to tell them they're bad people for being in favor of life. I'm not doing that, right? You know, I, these are people who are, who are you know, uh, pro-abortion, you know, but even they looked at it like, I am not going to get into that. And, and yeah. you know, that's really instructive because if you're a Democrat, especially a white Democrat in most of this country, um, you're picking up a third of the Catholic vote because you are not forcing them to confront that you are in fact part of the abortion problem. Yeah. And what, what, you, what I heard in those stories was these guys, maybe they were women, I don't know, totally understood their electorate. They're like, I am not going back and telling these people that, hey man, you're wrong for being right to life. I'm not doing that. So I'm not sure how powerful it's really going to be, to be honest with you. I think it might be a wash, maybe a slight, a slight advantage for the Republicans. It's going to energize everybody. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Right. We'll see. Yeah. Well, um, you know, new, new round of polling showing that Biden is 
is bottom. He has not reached bottom yet. Um, it's even and and interestingly and ironically, and I've seen some reports. I don't know if uh, you want to talk about this, but the uh, apparently the Democrats aren't like getting slaughtered in redistricting after all, um, because you probably don't remember this, but I predicted this way back at the top of the year when all the Republicans, like they do, woohoo, we're going to redistrict our way, we're going to win like thirty seats in redistricting. You know, the reality of redistricting is this. There are now so many people watching the process. The computer um, programs to do it are so easy that any idiot can download them onto their computer. Um, that redistricting is, you know, no better than a marginal thing, right? And I saw it's, this. I saw it's this. not like the old times when you just kind of you know, sat in a room. And, but the other thing too is Republicans have had a couple whacks at this and and have done a, already sort of you know uh turn the screw pretty pretty well in terms of the seats so well i mean you know you you can't squeeze that much more out of it right so the truth is and the truth is somebody hosed us on the census right you know the idea that texas only went plus two is ridiculous yeah Um, and new york miraculously saved their you know saved their their hides by like five thousand seats by five thousand people right that that's nonsense right any any legit census would, would cross that stuff out so Long story short is redistricting is not going to save us. That means we're going to have to actually run campaigns, issues, ideas, plans. What are you going to do? All right. So speaking of the midterms, and I will close with this. I I hesitated, but I'm going to because it really rubs me raw. CBS morning, uh, CBS morning show had a segment that I'm just going to play it and then I'll let uh, I'll I'm just going to play it here. A new report is detailing what it says are the biggest risks facing the globe in 2022, and the findings may surprise you. It's a report that comes from the Eurasia Group. That's a political risk and research consulting firm. Closely watched report. It ranks the top global risks every single year, and the president and founder of Eurasia Group, Ian Bremmer, joins us now to detail this report. We're going in reverse order on the top three, Ian. Number three, midterm elections here in the U.S., a top risk for 2022. How come? Well, maybe the the least of the surprises, uh, this is the most important uh, midterm election in American history. Uh, We have January 6th coming up in just a day. uh, And as you know, since the profoundly challenged uh, and uh, elections of 2020, uh, no lessons have been learned at all uh, in the United States. The country is much more divided. And a large number of Americans, some 64% uh, in an NPR poll yesterday, said they thought the United States democracy was in crisis. Uh, unlike countries like Japan and Germany and uh, and Canada in the last few months have had uh, very successful elections, the United States has an election process that is increasingly broken, uh, increasingly delegitimized. And the midterm elections, especially uh, if you have a significant uh, win uh, for a Trump-led Republican Party means that 2024 is going to be seen as illegitimate and potentially a constitutional crisis. In the world's most powerful country, it's hard not to rank that high on your list. It's deeply worrying. All right, is that all of it? <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking at your face like, turn that garbage off. Ian yeah. Bremmer, of course. Uh, I know you. Columbia and NYU. And, I know who Ian Bremmer yeah, is. Yeah, I knew you knew who he was. Let me, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something here real quick about this. This is the part of the segment where I like to rile up my co-host. Let me tell you something about this, about these guys right now. So, so they're trying to, they're no doubt they're going to spend the whole year trying to, trying 
I'm going to minimize and delegitimize the elections in 2022. And they obviously must be nervous about 24 if a, if a nozzle like Bremer is out there talking about it already, right? Um, what they don't understand is, or maybe they don't care, I don't know. Um, what they don't understand is when you talk like that, you feed the fire, right? Um, and, and um, you know, you, you are part of the problem at that point. I know you're all like, well, you know, we're not Trump. We're not part of the problem. When you get on TV and talk about delegitimizing an election and how if the Republicans win in 2022, and this is exactly what this guy just said, Republicans win in 2022, it's going to delegitimize the 2024 elections. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're in a really dark spot. Because the bottom line is this, right? If we can't referee our problems through elections, we're going to wind up refereeing, refereeing them through violence. And um, that's an outcome nobody wants. Um, but guys like Bremer are making it more likely. And, and you know, they are, I'm not going to say they're enemies of the state. I'm not going to say they're enemies of the people. But I am going to say they're enemies of humanity. You know, any, any, anything you do to encourage violence is not a good thing. And that guy just literally got on national television and encouraged violence. Well, it's full. I mean, it, I bring this up because it, it's all tied to humor. It's all, the fact is that the mainstream media, CBS is covering this. There, he, in, in essence, agreed with the guy. Right. I don't know if you caught that at the end. Oh, he's good. Well, it's all part. It's the Schumer letter. It's the whole narrative. And that's why people look at this event today in very different light. It has nothing to do with, you know, being brainwashed. It has everything to do with the fact that people see through all this garbage. Well, you know, we, we've, we've had this conversation before, right? Um, when you can radicalize a guy like me, you know, you're, you're in a bad spot, right? You know, the thing is, every single time in the last five years when I've looked at Trump and thought, you got to be kidding me, invariably somebody like Ian Bremmer shows up and you're like, well, got to be better than that alternative, right? Anyway. All right, I'm I, done. I, I just want to. I just wanted to get that out there so we could, you know, point out how ridiculous uh, uh, things are, are are headed in our political discourse. If you so. really believe that the midterm election is one of the three biggest challenges the planet faces this year? You're really you're not well. You probably should get some 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 legitimate um, professional assistance. I mean, unless you're unless you're unless you're a consultant making a bunch of money off it then it is the most important thing to you. But yeah. seriously. Well, it's clear, it's clear where this guy, you know, where this guy lot leans. So, and the, the sad part is he's teaching our youths, right? Like, uh, you know. Uh, you know, that's the good thing. No, none of our youths watch linear TV. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm done. How about you? I'm, I'm done and sick of talking and sick of listening. So. All right. I have combed. In the, in the spirit of the new year, um, I have, uh, you know, new year celebrations and everything. I have combed the archives for what I believe is perhaps the cheesiest song ever written. And I'd like to close with it if, if you're okay with that. Yeah, let's, let's do it. All right. Um,
<laughs> Do you know that song? Have you heard it before? Yes, of course. It's terrible. <laughs> it's the same old Lang Side by Dan Fogelberg. Fogelberg? What the hell? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year. Episode number one of 2022 is in the books. Namaste. Hey.